Philippians chapter number three. Let's look at this just as a launching point this evening. We've been talking uh, a tad bit in this particular year about four concepts. One is purpose, knowing what my purpose is to glorify God and to be good for others, to honor the Lord and to help those within my sphere of influence. You can help no one any better than when you share the gospel of Christ with them. And I shared the gospel of Christ with someone today and went through the entire gospel at the end. They said, Pastor, I could maybe be deceitful to you and, and just pray a prayer with you, but I'm honest to goodness, I'm not ready to do that right now. I would love for him to have done that. I appreciate his honesty, but he just said, I, I would be tricking you if I prayed because I'm not ready to do that. And certainly, uh, I, I would want him to do it today. And everybody should want someone to be saved. Matter of fact, I told him, if God gave me the suggestion, he said, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation, but it is his choice. And we want to just give the gospel clearly. But you cannot be any more helpful to mankind than to share with them the gospel of Christ. We've been talking about it tonight several times about being saved. Isn't it wonderful to be saved and to be redeemed by the blood of the Lord and to be loved by God and to know his love? So the Bible tells us here that we'll have purpose. Number two, we ought to take responsibility. Responsibility for what we know, responsibility for what we've been given, the light we've been given. Responsibility for some generational sins that may have come through your generation, through your family. Take responsibility. You know, responsibility turns victims into victors. It turns people that are in bondage into free libertarians. They're just, they have liberty to do what God wants them to do. It takes people that are um, hopeless and makes them helpful. It takes people that are discouraged and, and in pity parties and makes them purposeful. Taking responsibility. Oftentimes in our day and time, people not interested in taking responsibility. Don't be in that group. And uh, if, you're, if you're a dad, never yield your spiritual responsibility that God's given you. One of the first th things that God gave Adam when he created Adam was, was uh, responsibility. Then he gave him a rule. Then he gave him a relationship. And when men struggle, it's usually because they're not responsible on basic knowledge of what they've been given to do. They don't keep the rules, and they don't work on relationships. Now, that's, uh, I'm saying that to a man, but I'm telling you that that works for a lady too. Uh, you, you're not responsible for what happens to you. You're responsible for how you respond to it. Many things happen to us. It's not our fault. Every bad thing that ever happened to me happened because of sin. Some of it's been my own sin I've self-imposed upon myself. Other things that have happened to me are sins of somebody else that's complicated my life. But when it comes to me, I've got to take responsibility. The third thing we talked about was exhortation. And that is my responsibility to encourage those around me. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and verse 13, that he guys, I want you to exhort people daily while it is called today. It is a daily responsibility to exhort and challenge other people to love God and others more and do more for God and others. One of the reasons we even come to church is not just to listen to a message, not just to sing a few songs, not just to pray a few prayers, but it is to stimulate and encourage those around us, to challenge them, to love them, to, to get to know them. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you know and love those that are over you and those that serve with you in the Lord and esteem them very highly in love because of what they do for God. 
And boy, all of us ought to be doing something for God. Everybody has a role to play. And if you're not doing anything, I remember years ago that uh, Sam Jones came to a church and came to a town. He began to host revival meetings and he preached really hard against sin. He preached hard against sin on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. But uh, they had a special testimony time. By, by that time, either you were sick of hearing him or, uh, or you got right with the Lord. That was all that happened. And he said, I'm going to have a testimony. What are some things you're going to quit that God's put his finger on? You're doing wrong and you're going to quit. Boy, people began to respond. They stood up and they said, well, you know, I'm, I've been smoking and I'm going to quit. I've been drinking. I'm going to quit. I've been gossiping. I'm going to quit. I've been disobeying my mom and dad. I'm going to quit. And every time people would clap and say, amen, that's good. After many testimonies, one little old lady got up in the second or third row from what I read, and she said, I ain't been doing nothing, and I'm going to quit. <laughs> and if you're not doing nothing, quit, all right? Find something to do for God. And if you're not, if you're not engaged in the work of the Lord, helping make the progress go, then you need to decide, what is my role and what can I do to get involved in the work of the Lord? Because part of that is exhorting one another. We're supposed to exhort each other to be pure. We're supposed to exhort each other to love God and others and do more for God and others. These are things God wants us to do. Tonight, I want to talk to you just for a few moments uh, about passion. Passion is our theme, and it's not hard to find. There's not a lot uh, of times in the Bible where passion is mentioned as a word, but its concept is all the way through the Bible. Second Kings chapter number 10, uh, Jehu said, come and see my zeal for the Lord. One of the things that was admirable about, um, about uh, John the Baptist is that it was said about him that he had fire and light, which is an unusual combination. There are some people who have fire. They have zeal, but they don't have a lot of wisdom or knowledge. Some people have a lot of knowledge, but they have no zeal to get up and do something with what they know. Rare is the individual who will combine both of those who as he learns, he doesn't become lazy. As she grows in the Lord, she doesn't become less zealous. It's oftentimes the new Christians are really zealous. They, they'll, they'll figure out how to get here on a Sunday night and a Wednesday night. They want to learn more. They want to take the discipleship. And then sometimes people have been saved for 30 years. They just kind of meander down life's road. They lose their zeal and they get more knowledge but he said John the Baptist was special because he had zeal and knowledge. He had fire inside of him, and he had a lot of light. And would to God, that's what mature people ought to have. That's what I want. That's what I want you to have. That's what you want for you and for your kids and for your family. You want to keep that fire going while you're still learning about the things of God. If there's anybody who did, who did that, I think the Apostle Paul would be that guy. I think he was the best Christian that ever lived outside of, obviously, Christ. In my opinion, that God gives us a snapshot in. He wasn't perfect. He had interpersonal problems occasionally. No doubt he, he was scared at times and failed to witness and take opportunities when he should have. We see that in the Bible. God tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly about uh, any individual. But I think he was an amazing servant of Christ. Many believe he didn't live past his 62nd birthday. From the time that he left, uh, he, of course, he met Jesus, and it may have been as many as 10 years before he left uh, Tarshish and went on to 
to Antioch. Maybe seven years minimum. Three years in Arabia being reprogrammed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He was chosen as a vessel that would suffer many things. His life would be difficult and hard. If you don't believe it, just read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and see the litany of things that happened to him. It's unbelievable what he went through. But there was something inside of his soul, a passion, that really motivated him. At the end of his life, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I don't know about you, but I really want to say that. Maybe only 18 years of ministry from the time that he set off with Barnabas out of Antioch to go uh, to witness until they removed his head in Rome after Nero uh, fired up at him and, and arrested him and had him killed. 18 years of ministry. And in those ministries, a, a plethora or many, many servants of Christ, hundreds and thousands of souls won. Many people trained night and day. He took advantage of helping people in their homes and, and in the house of God and in, in the local places and in public places. He taught in the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus. For three years, he stayed there. He took on demonic activity. Matter of fact, he was very popular in hell. Whenever a fellow named Sceva was trying to remove a demon from, from somebody, the demon spoke to me and said, you know, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? He was definitely a point man for God. I wonder if there's any of us have done anything for the Lord of any significance that would be known by the demonic activity that goes around. I think one of the reasons there were so many demons in the time of Jesus is that Satan put every one of his reinforcements around him to complicate things. And where there's movement, there will be some friction. In a local church that is getting people saved and discipling people, and our church is not perfect, but we're going to have our share of demonic activity. And certainly Saul did, Paul did. But uh, he was very passionate. I see it very much. And, of course, he's writing to the church at Philippi. And that is this, one of his favorite churches. The theme of the book of Philippians would be joy. It's joy rejoicings mentioned 19 times. He talks in chapter 1 about his difficulties and said, you know what? You're having difficulties. I'm having difficulties. We can have joy in difficulties. Chapter 2, he talked about having joy in service. Well, to serve the Lord with? Gladness. You ought to be glad to serve the Lord. It's not a burden. You've heard that little story about that little girl that she was carrying her little brother. And it was all, it was, she, he was half her size and she was struggling so much. And a fellow walked up and said, boy, you got a little burden there. You're carrying a heavy burden. She said, it's not a burden, it's my brother. The truth of the matter is, if you're serving Jesus Christ, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. It's not a hardship, it's about Jesus. It's about the cross, it's about salvation, it's about redeeming the times, it's about thanking my God for the privilege. I love to, to greet people and see what they're doing for the Lord, and uh, there's one particular man I always say, boy, I appreciate what you're doing. He goes, are you kidding me, Pastor? I'm doing what I want to do. Everything I'm doing, is I'm doing it because I get to do it. I don't have to do anything. It's my joy. And boy, would to God that we had more servants of Christ and God had more servants like that. Don't ever say, I have to go to church. Get ready, kids, we gotta go to church. 
No, we get to go to church. Got to go visit the bus route. No, no, we get to go bus, visit the bus route. Got to go make a hospital visit. No, we get to go make the hospital visit. Get to go make a visit. Get to go soul winning. Get to serve the Lord. And I know I have those same tendencies. Everything I just now said to you, I've no doubt said it to my precious kids and my beautiful wife at times. Like, honey, I'm sorry. We got to go do this. But really, it ought to be a get to, not a have to. Apostle Paul was all about it. Chapter 3, he said, there is joy in the servants of the Lord. Chapter 2, but there's joy in the Savior. He was captivated by Christ. And I see that here. Let's just walk through a couple verses, and then I'll make a couple applications. I'm watching your time go by this evening, but it won't be too long. I'll, I'll be merciful to you. Verse 7, the Bible says, And what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. He gives a, 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 his resume. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Nobody could throw anything at me that would be blamed. I would stick with me because I was blameless. I kept the law. I was zealous. I persecuted the church. He goes, I, I, was, I was on it when I was unsaved, and I'm telling you what, now I'm on it in a, different, in a different way. He said, but everything that was all good that I had, and a member of the Sanhedrin, 70 men of Israel, he was no doubt one of them. He was, he was, a, he was, a, he was a fair-haired child of the, of the Pharisees and the Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin. He had a whole resume full. He said, you know what? I don't care about that. I count all that like a pile of manure. It doesn't matter to me. But I got a different purpose now. I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. Look what he says in verse number, verse number 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the what? Knowledge of who? My Lord. By the way, that's a good thing to say. I have a, a, a Jewish man, and, and uh, he came to know Christ out of a Jewish home, and he's a businessman. But every time he gets with anyone in any kind of business meeting, he's multimillionaire. But he's so funny. He always says, he, when he talks about God, he never says God, never says Jesus, doesn't say Christ. He said, my Lord Jesus Christ. He'll, he'll get into a business meeting and say, I love my Lord Jesus Christ. He said, people are not used to hearing all three of those terms of the Lord real quickly, and it sets them back on their heels. You walk into a business meeting, and people figure out real quickly, okay, no cussing in this room right here. This is, we got three people here. Lord Jesus Christ, all of them are here. But he said, I, I, I count all things for lost for the, for the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's beautiful. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us here. For of whom I suffer the loss of all things, because I've been through some real bad, do, bad, bad situations. I've lost a lot of finances. I haven't gone back to Tarshish and taken the inheritance of my mom and dad, no doubt. I do count them but dung or sewage that I may win Christ. And he said, I'm going to be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness. Matter of fact, it's all salvation was of him, not of the law, but of faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, read it with me. But I might, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and being made conformable to his death. He'll continue on there. But I want you to look at verse 13, would you? Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it, because I haven't arrived, and I know it. I'm not all I ought to be, not all I should be. I'm just not what I used to be. So I, have, I haven't arrived. I got that. I don't have it all. I'm not apprehended, but... This one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. And boy, some of you, you need to forget the, the good things and the bad things. 
Boy, you keep looking at the bad things, you, 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 can, you can't not steer straight look in the rearview mirror the rest of your life. You're going to have wreck after wreck after wreck. Some of you are so quick to pull up your past. And sometimes it's a good thing. Well, you had this and I had this. I gave up all that. You didn't give up anything. Every once in a while you hear someone say, well, I had all the money and I gave it up. You didn't give up anything. That's about the most sorriest testimony I've ever heard in my life. Number two, though, if you got a life of sin and disappointment, God's not reminding you of that, so you shouldn't remind everybody else of all the details. And don't let the devil put that back on your front doorstep. If he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Say, we're not moving there. That's that. I'm not going there. God, he says, I will remember your sins. How long? No more. He puts them as far as the east is from the west. He says, and this one thing I do, I forget those things which are the past. And then verse number 13, he goes on to say, uh, they're behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Now, friends, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a doomsday guy, but I don't know how much longer we have in this world. But I, I, the longer I live, the more aggressive I want to be about serving, giving, and I made my life, maybe my life's a lie. I don't, I don't want it to be. But I want to stay busy and investing in the things of God. Because I want to reach for those things which are before. It's not a time to sit. There is a time for that. There is a rest for the people of God. But right now is not that time. Boy, we really patty cake ourselves a lot. And I'm not here. I, I, we've got one of the hardest working churches in the world. But it's amazing what it'll do to get people to stay home from church service. you got one kid that's sick and you have to, everybody in the family has to stay home to blow the same kid's nose. It's amazing what keeps people from going soul winning or baking a bus route. It's amazing, really, how sometimes how little we, how quickly we'll spend to do whatever we want to do, and then all of a sudden we're taking an offering or something, and just it just seems like we're just giving just a, a tip. And I'm not, I don't know who gives anything in this church, but I'm just telling you, I want to make sure that we're aggressive. You know what I've done? He said, because of all this, I put it behind all those things that are behind. And I'm reaching forth to those things which are, you know, today is the, is the first day in the, of the rest of your life. You can't do a blooming thing about yesterday. And uh, you don't even know you have tomorrow. And once I say, well, my health is good. It's not even your health. You don't know what's going on. You might have cancer cells rolling in your, in your veins as we speak. And you think you're healthy as a horse. I could have the same thing. But he said, I'm reaching forth to those things that matter. There ought to be something inside of a little bit of a passion going on. And if you may need it stimulated from the Holy Spirit. That's the best place for it to be stimulated. I love it when people go to the mission field. Oftentimes they come back so, so invigorated to say, good night. What they're doing so much with so little. And what can we do to, to, to help and to enhance that? When you go soul, when you get on the bus route. By the way, the more you get involved in the work of the Lord, the more you'll need the Lord of the work. And then you'll start praying. There's so many benefits by serving. When, the more you get involved with it, the more you realize, we can't do this. I need God. And that brings you to humility, and it brings you to prayer, and it brings you to productivity. 
Apostle Paul says, you know, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. I'm pressing toward the things that are ahead. Look, if you would please, if you would please, in verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. What does the word perfect mean in our Bibles? Mature. And right here, we got, we got in this wonderful group of people. Man, any pastor in the world would dream to have this, this group of people to speak to tonight. And I'm so honored to get to do it on a regular basis. But in this room, there are many levels of maturity. There are some folks who've been saved several weeks that have more spiritual maturity in how they face life and challenges and ministry than people have been saved for 45 years. Maturity is in different levels. But he says, look, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and now I'm going to turn the tables on you and us. He said, those of you who are perfect, those of you who have maturity as a goal inside of you, listen up. Here's his admonition. Can we look at it? Verse 14 or 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect or mature, be thus minded. If anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So I want you to get your, your, your attitude, your thinking changed in this. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be ye followers together of me, mark them which walk, so that you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and how I tell you, with, uh, even weeping, sad tears are flowing down my, my face as I'm writing this, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. People who are no longer walking with the Lord, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, whose mind earthly things. It's all about stuff. It's all about what's going on in the world. And earthly stuff is it, it, that song we sing, purge me from what? Earth. And set my heart after thee. Who shall change our vile bodies that be fashioned to the glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Real quickly tonight, we see the passion of the Apostle Paul. And I want to challenge you to be passionate. I'm just going to give you a couple of arenas in which I think it's good to be passionate about. Number one, be passionate about the person of Jesus Christ. You'll see his name come on the pages of the Bible on a regular basis. How often does it come on the pages of your, your, your text, your emails, your voicemails, your words, how often do you exchange that with your kid? Do you even say Jesus Christ or God or Lord Jesus Christ when you talk with your kids on the way home? How much does it come off your page, uh, the, the words that we speak? Be passionate about the person of Jesus. I know that he's somewhere out there. He's in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father. I realize that. I've never seen him. You haven't seen him. We did have enough faith to believe on him and ask him to save us. How many remember that glorious day? But he didn't go away then. Matter of fact, his spirit's in her heart, and God wants him to be right here all the time. Looking unto Jesus. That's why you don't want to fight with somebody. That's why you don't want to get in an argument with somebody. You don't want to have interpersonal problems. Because the Bible says, it, he says, look, when you're running your race, don't get in a fight with someone. Follow peace with your brothers and sisters and holiness. Uh, without which no man can see the Lord. You don't see Christ when you're caught up in drama. When you're caught up on a Facebook or, or a textbook, a text back and forth, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna miss Jesus. 
Be passionate about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is as real and as close as the mention of his name. He ought to be as close to you as a young man in college as he is to me as a pastor of his church. He ought to be close to you if you're a nursery worker, you're a bus worker, you're an usher. Jesus ought to be the reason you're sitting at your post, men. If you're up on the cameras or you're up here in the, in the flight deck, Jesus ought to be your purpose and your reason for living. I can't get that to you, but I can challenge you tonight. It's one of the reasons we came together, to exhort one another. To challenge us to make Christ preeminent. Some of us, we might ought to sit down and just write his name. We ought to say publicly, my Lord Jesus Christ, I love you, God. We love you, Jesus. It ought to be as, as normal as breathing for us to speak of the Lord Jesus. By the way, there's power in his name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and have safety. You precious girls, if you're ever in, in a threatening situation, call out to the Lord Jesus Christ. It can, strike, it can strike terror into the heart of a recipient that hears that. There's power in that name. There's, it's a saving name. But he's a real person. And the, and the more love we understand that he has for us, Apostle Paul, when he prayed with the Ephesian, the Ephesian people, he said, this is the reason I bow my knee, that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. Were they already Christians? Yes. But he wanted Christ to be real to them, that he would dwell in their hearts by faith, that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and know the love of Christ. Be passionate about the person of Christ. Number two, be passionate Passionate about your family role. If you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're a son, you're a daughter, a brother, a sister, whatever role you be passionate and say, God, please help me on my side of the fence to be what God wants me to be. You start throwing mud, you're losing ground. And many of us are so good at making excuses. Well, if my wife, if my husband, if this right here, listen, draw a circle around yourself in your house and ask God to bring revival to that circle. And find out your responsibilities and be the best you you can be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. God will inspire and encourage and edify us. But be passionate about Christ. Be passionate about your family role. Our church is only as strong as our families are strong. And our families are only as strong as individual parts are. It's a synergy. It's a synergy. Everybody needs to work together here. But to work together, i got to play my role, you got to play your role. Husbands, prove your love to God by sacrificing for your wife. Wives, prove your love to God by surrendering your will. Submitting and, and doing what God wants you to do in the fear of the Lord. He's your first priority. We understand that. But let God help you in that way. Be passionate about, the, about Jesus. Be passionate about your family role. I would also encourage you to be passionate uh, about purity. Be passionate. Say, God, I do not want to get into an element or an area of impure moral failure. Check your, check your motives first and then check your morals and stay on that thing. You maybe ought to read of Proverbs chapter 5, occasionally men and ladies, and see 
the damage that is caused by immorality. Get passion. Say, you know what? This is my body. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, let's just look at it real quickly. Chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Could you turn there? I don't hear you turn your pages. If you, if you, if you fell asleep, someone uh, nudge the guy next to him. We're in 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think this would be good. If you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible or highlight, this is a great verse for this. Would to God that every young man, every young lady understood this passage of Scripture. It's an exhortation. Let's see what it says real quickly. Verse number 1. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, and you would abound more and more. Verse number 2. For ye know the commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. He said, just he's reminding this group of people, he was only with them a month or so in Thessalonica, but he's writing them about moral purity. Verse number three, for this is the what? We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse number three. Can you read it with me? For this is the? So this is, you don't have to wonder about what God's will is for this, okay? This is, he's telling you, this is the will of God. Matter of fact, anything you pray according to the will of God, he wants to do it. He wants to cooperate with you. Here's what he said. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that's your moral purity, that ye should abstain from what? Fornication. So this is the will of God. Verse number four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. What do you think the vessel is? It's our body. He said, I want every one of you to know how to control your body in sanctification and honor. By the way, when sanctification goes, honor goes. I love it when people say, Pastor. You know how I can go from Pastor to John real quick? How I can lose honor? Get into a moral failure. People don't want to call someone Pastor whenever they fail morally, they'll go with the first name. Lose honor. You lose honor in lots of ways. He said, Look, sanctification and honor. You've got a vessel. That's something your job. I can't control your body. You can't control mine. There's three things we've got to do for ourselves. We've got to walk with God for ourselves. We've got to play our family role for ourselves. And we've got to be pure for ourselves. I can't be pure for you. You can't be pure for me. I can't be pure for my wife, Linda. She can't be pure for me. I can't walk with God for her. She can't walk with God for me. She can't. I'm, I'm the husband. I'm supposed to play my role. She's the wife. She's playing her role. The kids got to play their role. That's your job. And he says, look, I want you to know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Look at the next verse. He's not done talking, and I don't think I am either. Verse number five. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Concupiscence is creating desires for things that are forbidden. He said, don't, don't get caught up in desiring things that God said no to. You goof around. And here's what happens. You start playing with sin, sin will start playing with you. If you don't go for sin's juggler, you'll go for your juggler. It'll be over, it'll be over quick. It'll be some real challenging scenarios here. And I'm not here to embarrass or frustrate anybody. I love you with all of my heart, and I want this for me. I want this for my kids. I want this for you. And God tells us, black and white, what we need to do. He tells us here in this passage of Scripture, he said, don't live in a lust of concupiscence. Let me just tell you real quick, let's get, let's get where, where, it, uh, where the rubber meets the road. Okay, when you're watching a stupid movie, 
And most movies are stupid. This Netflix, HBO, whatever Max, and this Max, and Hacks, and whatever else is going on, it's coming out of Hollywood, Hollywood. Listen, don't, and I don't understand this for life of me. It's not, it's not too much in me, but I don't understand why in the world we want to watch things that create desires for things that are forbidden. Look, chuck your stinking phone, fella, before you go into that sewage. Don't, don't flip through channels and try to find stuff and try to say no to something. It's much better to resist temptation than it is to, to avo- avoid it, than it is to resist it. Oh, good night in the morning. May God help us. You young men, it's a battle for you. Some of you picked it up when you're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. This Bible is just as true for you as it is for anyone else in here. It's not just for the guys on the platform. Everybody ought to be pure. Possess your own, and not in the lust of concupiscence. Look, pornography, some of the stupid things, and the devil's show is to get you to laugh at something to accept it. Many years ago, we would be we just we we would rebel and we'd be would be sickened by homosexuality, but now there's been so many sitcoms and things that everyone laughs ah for you know well it's just everybody's just born differently no 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 there's right and there's wrong we have to see it the way God sees it. I'm not against it I'm not against uh, I'm not against anyone I love everybody and I've got some precious friends that have alternative lifestyle that I'm praying that God would bring them to salvation and I pray often for that and I believe they can be saved some people don't believe that I believe they can I believe that there's only sin that God's not going to forgive is a sin of unbelief God can do that he can do the miraculous things but the truth of the matter is I can't compromise on that right is right wrong is wrong I don't care about Three's Company or friends or what, uh, what uh, anybody else says or whatever, whatever anyone else has got going. Hey, Bible's true. Let every man and everybody else be a liar. Let's keep it straight on that. Well, I just, I just kind of feel a little different. I didn't care about how you feel. And it's not, it's not about me anyways. You can disagree with me all you want to. In just a few days, you're going to stand before God. Say, well, I have different needs. You you need to see what God says about that. Figure it out and buy into God's plan. You know, just tell you something. The first day of sin is always the best day. It just goes downhill after that. The hardest day of doing what's right is the first day. And it goes uphill after that. That first, that first little rendezvous you had of immorality, that was your best day. You keep going, it's just gonna, it's gonna tie you up with the cords of your sin. That first time you took alcohol, that was your best day. It's just gonna keep on winding you down. That flirtatious things you're doing on the side that you don't, that your family doesn't know about, and you know what you're. Listen, let me tell you something. Keep it right. Keep it right. God loves us. His commandments are not grievous. He's not trying to kick you in the pants. He's trying to pat you in the back and say, come on, let's get, let's get over here. Let's avoid these things that are going to create all kinds of crippling effects upon us. 
not in the lust of concupiscence. And of course, he goes on to say, even as the Gentiles was known not God, don't live like someone doesn't know. You're a child of God. You got the Holy Spirit. You got the word of God. So don't live like the unsaved world lives. Look at the next one, if we can, please, where the Bible says that you go, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, and we also have forewarned you and testified. And, you know, I, I will say this just real quickly. Uh, don't defraud your brother. Don't, don't get into immorality. May I say to you, girls especially, make sure you dress modestly. I mean, just stress my I'm not here to preach a message about it, but there are sexual zones of your body that you have no idea that, that attract the attention of a man, naturally, and it's pure as long as it's his wife. But when it's not, look, the Bible calls the thigh nakedness. Said, so you want to get naked? Well, reveal your thigh. Well, I, I, bless your heart, girls, you've got to figure that out. Some of you, some of you precious girls, and some of you know better, and it's a rebellion in your heart. I'm not upset with you, but there's something going on between your ears I can't quite figure out. What are you, what are you, what are you trying? If you're not for sale, don't advertise. Don't, don't do that. Cover that, which is, it's not, this is, you wear clothes for protection. You wear clothes for modesty. You wear clothes for distinction. So we know a man's a man, a girl's a girl. And by the way, that's important to God. Oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. I think you, you, can, you can see what God wants, do it God's way. Protect yourself. It, we made it from modesty. Cover that which needs to be covered. If you don't get it, you could, ask, you could ask your husband. He'll get it. By the way, I think for some of us men, we need to figure out if we're, if we're, the, if, if we're the leader of the home, we need to be protecting on that situation. And then, sweet girl, if you're married to a man that tries to assert some spiritual leadership and, and encouragement, listen to him. He can, only, he can only lead you if you let him. If you want to be stubborn and, and aggravating and pushed back all the time and you get your way, you won't want the man that you're going to get. Let him be a leader. Let him help you in those areas. We wear a clothes for a testimony. Protection, modesty, distinction, and a testimony. You're, you're, you can go, and, and I'll be on an airport tomorrow, airport tomorrow, and you can oftentimes spot Christians by, by their apparel. Most people, they wear, they wear distinctive clothes. It's part of their religious it's relief. It, it shows what's on the inside kind of comes out. I know I have this, you have this. It's everything within us. We want to blend in. We want our little boys and little girls just to look like every other little kid out there. But God didn't call us to blend in. He called us to stand out. Come out from among them and be ye. You say, Pastor, I can't stand that verse. You need to get in love with that verse so that your father can receive you. See, holy, holy standards of holiness, they don't necessarily make you all that in a bag of chips, but they do. When, you, when God sees us distinctively different from the world, it gravitates, it gets his attention to us. We feel closer to him. You don't want to be, you don't have God to be far away from you. James chapter 4, he tells us very strongly, from whence come wars and fightings among you. 
Come they not hence from your own lust, which war in your own members. Why do we have interpersonal problems? Because we got pride. And because we don't want to submit. The whole topic of, of James chapter 4 is about submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee. The whole topic is the submission. The reason we have fights with everybody is because we don't want to submit. We got our way, our thinking. We're stuck on how we feel, what we think, and what we want. And we don't care about anybody else's that. They need to think the way I think. Or if not, we're going to have, we're going to have problems. That's, that's a failure to submit. I'm not thinking about things that are right and wrong. I'm talking about, I'm talking about interpersonal problems. Then he says, ye, ye adulteresses and adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. A man cannot be a friend of God and the world. And you know where it's, where it's, it's stemmed from? Is rebellion. Many folks, they don't want to change because they, gotta, they, 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 can, they can look like nice people, sweet girls, good men, but there's a strong rebellion inside of me. No one's going to tell me what to do. It's my body. I can dress like I want to. It's my family. I can do like I want to. And I'm not telling you, there's not, there's not major, major rules and rights and wrongs. I'm just telling you, you've got to stand before the Lord, but make sure your heart is right. Make sure you're yielded to the Lord. He said, don't go beyond and defraud your brother and sister. And some of that has to do with modesty. I think you can see it in context. Let's look at one more verse and we're done. This evening for God, look if you would please. Um, verse number seven, read it out loud with me, ready? For God hath not called us, but unto holiness. Passion for holiness. A passion for Christ. A passion for my family responsibilities. Whatever it is you have, why don't you say, God, please renew my passion to be a good fill in the blank in my family. And then renew my passion for purity. Oh, I want us to be a pure people. I want to be pure. I want to give you a pure pastor. I don't, when I go to hotel rooms, I don't turn on the television. You know why? Because I don't trust me. If I ever would, I would contact my wife, Linda, and say, Linda, there's a ball game. I'd like to see the end of this. She'll say, John, thank you for calling me. Yes, that's fine. I can keep the, I can keep the FaceTime on if you'd like for me to see. I want to check out something. That's me. And I'm not telling you, I, because I want you to have a pure pastor. I want my wife to have a pure husband. I want my kids to have a pure dad. I certainly want that from, from her as well. But we need to be learning to be submissive and passionate about a few things. I think they're still important today. And we can live pure in this wicked world. And I don't care if you're 7 or you're 78. It's a challenge. I heard about B.R. Lakin. One day, a young pastor asked him, he said, now, how old do you have to be till you no longer have real temptations morally? He was 84 at the time. He said, you have to ask someone older than me. It's a lifelong battle, but it's a battle worth fighting. It needs passionate warriors to fight.